everybody this is joe list welcome to mindful metal jacket so happy to be back so happy that you are here if you're watching on youtube i apologize for the reflection in the glasses here's no glasses i went no glasses last week and there was a lot of uh, people like whoa what is this did you get lasik why am i so attracted to you right now so well i'm going no glasses so if you're listening on audio and you'd like to see how god damn sexy i am without these glasses uh switch over to youtube and if you're listening to audio youtube wherever you're listening thank you for listening we are on youtube as a video podcast now you can go over there subscribe to my youtube page it's also the home of joe and ronan talk movies and some other little sketch videos and such that i've done uh, but however you're listening i appreciate it if you're listening on audio on itunes go leave a review five stars the reviews have been so nice it's so kind really appreciate it if you're on youtube uh leave a comment a nice comment lots of nice comments i appreciate it I and mean, leave whatever comment you want but the nice ones obviously are better and i really appreciate the support for the show we took uh, a long break i was not expecting such a wonderful reaction when we came back particularly the sam morrill episode which is the most popular episode as sam is obviously a very popular comedian i saw him last night and uh, we had a chat and go check that one out if you haven't i assume you have because it's been such a popular episode but it really heartened me to hear the response from everybody with the podcast being back so um my endless gratitude to all of you for the kind words and for listening, I'm glad the show helps. It helps me as well. And um, today's a good one. It's a little bit of a shorter one, as you probably have seen, uh, as everything has timing on it now. A little time, whatever you call that, at the bottom on podcast and video, which um, sometimes is a blessing and a curse, don't you think? Isn't it nice about going to the movie theater? You turn on the movie, or they turn on the movie, you turn on your wife. And the movie's on and there's no ability to know how much is left. And so you don't know and it allows for like false endings. I was just talking about this with The Dark Knight, which is a wonderful film, although I hate the last 20 minutes. Again, check out Joe and Ronan's talk movies for more movie talk. But you think there's an ending. You think the movie is ending at like halfway through because you can't click on the cursor to see, oh, there's an hour left. Anyways, that was a tangent, but that's like life. Do you, would you, would you want to know how long life is? Um, of course, that's not possible because the future is unwritten, as we know, but sometimes forget. Anywho, all that to say, I'm glad you're here. And this is a bit of a shorter episode. My guest today, special guest, they're all special, aren't they? Um, she only had a short period of time, but we got a lot in. Um, I'm so worried about butchering her name, Emma. Sepala, I think is how you say it. I don't actually know and I feel terrible about it. I know her as Emma and uh, her last name, as you can see on there, S-E-P-P-A-L-A. And there's little grammar marks above the A's and I'm not smart enough to know what that is. But Sepala, I hope I'm not ruining her name. I'm so grateful that she came on. She is wonderful. I highly recommend following her on Instagram, the happiness track. Um, she posts a lot of great stuff, a lot of valuable stuff. She wrote a book called The Happiness Track, which I admittedly have not had a chance to read. It's funny because I'm reading stuff off my phone now. I don't have my glasses on and I realize I'm blinder than I realize. But 
Um, she is science director of Stanford University's Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education, and the author of this book, The Happiness Track, How to Apply the Science of Happiness to Accelerate Your Success. She studies happiness, all these things. It's a really great episode. Like I said, she had an abbreviated time, but um, obviously a very busy woman, and I'm happy that she made the time for me. I'm pleasantly surprised always when these really smart um, people make the time. Not that comedians aren't really smart, but you know, we all do each other's podcasts. We're all friends. So really happy she came on. We talk breathing exercises and anxiety and mindfulness, of course. And um, there's a lot of great wisdom in here. She's such a uh, kind, thoughtful person. I recommend her book, even though I haven't read it. It's something I plan to read and will read. I'm just swimming in books over here. I'm like, I can see 10 right here. This is my trip to Berlin that I'm taking. And then I got Lenin remembering an interview with Lenin and it's he's a real asshole this guy could have used some mindfulness it's really mind-blowing and then look at this Scorsese by Roger Ebert two of my favorite people ever and there's a whole bunch of other books over here um but anywho check out her book I think you'll love it I think I will love it when I eventually read it and the happiness track on Instagram there's just tons of great stuff on here little daily quotes there is nothing for you to take from this world. You have come here to give. I mean, how good is that? Um, think about the, uh, this one's longer, but um, well, I guess we should just get to the quote. I mean, we have a quote here. Typically, I'm giving you extra quotes, but the point is go check out the happiness track on Instagram and check out the book and enjoy this podcast. Like I said, it's, it's brief. Um, so I apologize for the shortness or maybe you're welcome for the shortness. Again, everything's blessing curse it's all perspective isn't it isn't all of life just perspective am i right about that folks i think i am look at that if you're watching on youtube i just tried to scratch as though my glasses were here that's why i made this face anyways i am rambling this is not what you came here for you came here for a little uh strength and hope perhaps a little reminder of mindfulness and you're going to get that from emma She's wonderful. Here is a quote recently from her, perhaps from the book. You are not a victim of your past. You are the director of your present and the dreamer of your future. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks, everybody, for being here. I appreciate you. I love you. And enjoy this conversation with Emma. Thank you. There's a little lady that tells you we're recording now. That's new. Um, thank you for uh, being here, Emma. I appreciate it. I, I will have given you a proper intro so we can just um, jump in. Um, I I first heard you on Dan Harris's podcast, and I thought you were fantastic, and it really helped. And now I've just been following you on Instagram, and you post all these great, helpful things. That's become part of my my uh, mental health. So I appreciate it. Okay, I'm glad. I haven't. I have to admit, I have not read your book yet because I have. I'm reading like four books at once, so my wife will shoot me if I order another book. But eventually, I'll get to it. But um, I appreciate you being here, and I, I I love your stuff, and it's really um, 
helped me. So thank you. I'm so glad. So yeah. Glad. One thing I wanted to, I guess we can just jump right in it because I know you have a limited time. One thing that was really interesting to me that you were talking about on um, Dan's podcast is about suppression and suppressing anger and sort of anxiety and how physically unhealthy that is. Um, and then you kind of talked about how breathing exercises can really be helpful. I'm a big meditator. We talk about that all the time, but I had never um, heard all these benefits of the breathing. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how unhealthy suppressing sort of anger and emotions can be and how breathing can sort of help that. Well, no one's ever taught us how to handle our emotions. And, you know, all the people who are supposed to teach us, like our parents or their, our teachers, they don't know. No one knows what the hell is going on with regard to our emotions. Like, what are we supposed to do with them? Especially the big, bad, negative ones. And so what does the research show? Is that suppression, which is the technique everybody uses because they don't know what else to use. And, you know, as kids, they're taught to just suck it up buttercup, like just suppress it because there's no other solution given. And this is across countries. I, I, I've seen this in audiences from all over the world. They all say, well, we're just supposed to sort of stuff them down and pretend they don't exist. And the result of that is that the emotion doesn't get resolved um, and it plays havoc on your body. So research shows that it actually, um, like for example, anger, if you suppress it, it actually becomes stronger in terms of your physiology physiological impact. So heart rate, blood pressure, inflammation, everything. It's like a soda can that you're shaking up. And that's how it feels psychologically too, right? You suppress anger for a while. It's going to come out as passive aggression, or you're going to blow up sometime. I think we've all been there. It doesn't work. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting because it's a hard thing to deal with. And I have, I struggle sometimes of when to, uh, if, if you get upset with somebody, when to sort of say something and when not to because suppression can like you said can lead up to just resentment which is like physically unhealthy for right. us and then like you said eventually just kind of snapping and it's you know you snap at somebody because they um you got your order wrong and you realize like oh that's not what you're talking about right now something else has happened but it's also hard to choose when to sort of address stuff because yeah. you're afraid of hurting feelings or changing the dynamic of of a hang or whatever it is so it can be really uh hard to decide what is do you have thoughts or advice on that is there is there a specific time to address something in the moment or sometimes you know there's a saying that I love, say what you mean, but don't say it mean, where you kind of have to let time pass and, and, and settle down. So it's not in the moment, because if you say things the wrong way, it can make things worse. It depends how triggered you are. If you're at a nine or 10, it's not a good time. You're going to be mean, probably. You're not right. going to say things in the most skillful manner. So if it's a nine or 10, then you can think of emotion as energy, or we call it action tendency in terms of psychology. It's energy, right? So go and use that up. You know, if you're angry, go and like write it out in your journal. Um, go and 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 um, take, you know, walk around the block until until you've settled down. You know, do something with that energy. Clean up your kitchen. Um, whatever it is to just sort of settle your energy. The other thing you can do is lie down. I mean, there's one study that showed that lying down when you're angry. Um, starts to cool all of that down, you know, starts to cool that, that fight or flight energy, which is triggered by anger. Um, so 
first do that because you're going to regain the ability to think clearly. Your brain is otherwise not thinking logically and reasonably because the emotion centers have hijacked your ability to think logically. So that is, that is why we know when you're in intensity of emotion, that's not when you want to be um, addressing a situation. If your emotions less than so three or four or five, and you think you can talk about it in a way that's not going to be mean, that's going to be um, able to listen to the other person and, and, and exchange in a reasonable way, and you feel like the other person is also not in a nine or 10, then yeah, you can bring it up now. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's always hard to like choose those battles. And I just had an instance where it, when I was with family, which is always um, stressful and triggering to me because it's you know, there's years, your entire life worth of um, emotional baggage, resentment, whatever it is. And, you know, and then I, I'm in I'm in therapy now and I do a lot of mindfulness and meditation and recovery and all this stuff. And, and so family comes up. So you start to have these things present. You start becoming mindful of behaviors. So it's it's tricky not to say, this is what you always did. You, know, you kind of have this thing and I'm like this. Right. And it, it really becomes um, an exercise of knowing when to do that. And then, um, and sort of patience and understanding that. And I think it's something maybe we all need to um, work on and be mindful of, but mindfulness definitely um, helps with that. I, are you familiar with um, Healing Back Pain, Dr. Sarno's book? That was the first book that I read that um, really talked about that is that his theory was that all pain that's not from like blunt trauma or like an injury is from suppressed um, anger. And that was sort of his big study that I guess was controversial at one point. Does that, does that sort of, um, uh, I don't know the word, I'm, some, I'm, I'm not as smart as I look, I have glasses, but does that make sense with your studies too? Is that possible that, that suppressing anger and, and resentment and anxiety can actually cause physical pain in the back or, or anywhere? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, any emotion will do that. Any emotion. And there's research on pain. I mean, there's physical pain, there's the psychological aspect. And if you can heal the psychological aspect, which we showed in one of our studies on loving kindness meditation, it actually reduces the physical pain. There's just so much. And it, I mean, there's a book that's been on the New York Times bestseller list for years now um, called The Body Keeps the Score, uh, which, which goes into that trauma and so forth are, are in the body. But going back to your earlier point about family, you know, some of your family members are never going to change. It's not going to happen, right? So what's the only option is that we have to change. And what it is, is that we've got these buttons and um, they're pushing our buttons. And so our responsibility is how do we get rid of those buttons? That's the only thing. I mean, I remember when I had completed my first three meditation retreats, I sort of did them in a row because when I realized how awesome they were, I just kept going. And then I visited family and, and other people who pushed my butt, who used to push my buttons. And I got there and I was like, oh my God, they're so different. What happened? And it's like, they're not different. I'm different. <laughs> Some of those buttons have dropped, you know? So some techniques, I mean, I don't, I don't know, you know, I, I found that some of the techniques that were practiced in those retreats must have helped with those buttons. Not that I'm, you know, trigger proof at all, but certainly there was a big shift that I noticed in very familiar patterns that had repeatedly been triggering in the past. Right. So that's an interesting thing I heard you talk about, too, is that sometimes, well, first of all, I agree. And that's a practice It took me a long time to realize is that I'm not able to change anybody. And I have to remind myself to kind of keep my side of the street clean, as we say, and you kind of have to, a lot of this comes from acceptance, you have to accept people's 
behavior and being mindful of, okay, I'm feeling this way because they behave that way. That's the way they behave. And then even being um, compassionate to they're behaving that way because of the way they were brought up or that's their learned behavior or whatever. And that stuff really does help, I find, is being more compassionate, which I've heard you speak of as well. Yeah, the compassionate. I would also probably recommend not even creating a story around like, I'm feeling this way because they did this. I would just stop at, I'm feeling this way. You know, because it kind of disconnects us from the story around it as well. Just be like, I'm feeling this way. What can I do now? You know? Right. That's compassionate to yourself too, because it untangles you from, from stories, from events. And then even when you're feeling that way, you know, going back, hey, what's, what's the sensation in my body? Okay, I'm not gonna, you know, it's, it's like lessening the story, lessening the words. What are you feeling? Are you feeling anguish or anxiety? Forget about it. Who cares? What am I feeling? Oh, I'm feeling this thing in my abdomen. Okay, now I'm just gonna feel that thing. You know, bringing it back to this. It's like you're delinking the thought from the sensation, the sensation from the emotion. Go back to your breath. You breathe through it. And you let the sensation pass. You're delinking everything. You're reprogramming your brain that way. You're freeing yourself. Right. God, that's so helpful. Just hearing you, you have a, a calming presence, which I wanted to talk about also is that dealing with other people and I've heard you talk about it before is that if somebody else is suppressing something, we feel it. The person there around can kind of feel and respond to that energy. It kind of, you can feel yourself getting tense because you can feel their intensity. Is that right? Could you talk about that a yeah. little bit? So if, if I were suppressing anger right now and talking to you, your heart rate would increase and you wouldn't know why you're not feeling comfortable. You're not feeling comfortable. So it would be, uh, you know, like those moments when you're around someone and you don't feel comfortable and you can't explain it to yourself or anyone else. You're just like, I just don't feel comfortable around that person. Chances are they're suppressing. We register inauthenticity as threat. Animals do that. Humans do that. When we're around inauthenticity, we register it as threat because we know there's like an untruth going on and we don't know what it means and we don't know if our life is at risk because of it. So that's why <clears throat> suppression doesn't work out long-term for relationships because um, the more we suppress, also the, you know, the, the more there, there's this feeling of inauthenticity going on, there's a lack of communication going on and that starts to break down relationships. So inauthenticity doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And that's what suppression is. Unfortunately, it's the only technique anyone's ever learned about how to handle their emotions, um, which, you know, earlier you were asking about breathing. I mean, I was in, I moved to New York two days before 9-11 and I, um, <clears throat> I witnessed a second plane crash from the, you know, rooftop of my building. And after that, I had so much anxiety every morning at 8.30 that my body was visibly shaking. And I didn't know what to do about it. Like I went to Bikram yoga five times a week. I was trying to sweat it out. I'd go and like hang out with Tibetan Buddhist monks to try and like get inner peace, like by osmosis. Right. Um, I did all sorts of things <laughs> to try it, you know, except medication. I just didn't want to go there because I, I, you know, I, I was reading a lot of research in psychology and knowing that we don't really know how medications work and that the brain is malleable and I was like, let me see, is there another way? Is there another way? Um, and anyway, I ended up uh, running into a breathing class that I hated. Um, and I hated that I felt more at peace in it. You know, I hated that. I don't like this class, but I feel more at peace than I ever have in my entire life. And I kind of even feel blissed out, which is just a weird experience. And then I realized um, after that class, I started doing the daily breathing practice that they taught. It's called sky breath meditation. And I was determined that it wasn't going to work for me because I just, 
you know, I don't know. That's just how I was. And, uh, and it worked, it worked so well. I'm still doing it 15 years later, every single day, even on the days I gave birth. So there's something to breathing. And it's the reason I studied um, the effect of breathing, this particular technique, um, the sky breath meditation for, for veterans with trauma. I've studied it at Yale with undergraduates. Um, there's something about breathing because it's not just having an impact psychologically, it's happening, having an impact physiologically. And so I think that's why it has such a, an effective, beneficial impact on the nervous system, especially with regard to anxiety and sort of those kinds of negative states. Yeah, it's amazing because uh, th that's such a um, interesting um, story of the 9/11 and, and watching that happen and the trauma. Because I was at home watching on TV and it was traumatic, so I can't imagine what it was like for people that were physically here in New York watching it happen. But um, that, there's a, I, I've told this story before, probably on this podcast, but this is just sort of a side note about a psychological thing. When I was a kid, I was terrified that somebody was behind the shower curtain. So anytime I went into the bathroom, I would open the shower curtain and check behind that when I was ages like four through 13 or 14, just every time it was like a compulsion. I had to check behind the shower curtain and eventually I stopped. I don't know why I just sort of got over it or I understood. And then I remember years later, the day of 9-11, I went in the bathroom and just subconsciously pulled the shower curtain back and looked back there. And I was like, that was like some kind of weird psychological thing that just made me revert back to this childhood um, fear. So I don't, you'd probably know more about that, the psychology behind that, but that's just a interesting anecdote about 9-11 um, and our responses to it. But um, what, could you talk a little bit about sky breathing? Because I've, I heard you talk about it before and I, I was a big, I did hot yoga, Bikram yoga for years and I still do when I can. I haven't in a while because of the pandemic, but and I do a lot of meditation and stuff. And I do this straw breathing, which is sort of uh, an exhaling as though breathing through a, a straw where it's a longer exhale than inhale. Could you talk a little bit about mm -hmm. sky breathing? Is that something you can explain or do people have to kind of go find it on their own and study it? Well, it, it's taught over, our, it's in a multi-day workshop. So it takes a few days to learn because it's a comprehensive series of breathing practices that sort of work together um, symbiotically. So I, I can't like teach it, you know, uh, in a few minutes, but um, it is, it was started in India um, by Sri Sri Ravi Shankar, who is, you know, um, he, he, he heads a yoga tradition um, called Art of Living. And um, yeah, it's, it's a, I, I would just think of it, I think of it as a sort of a comprehensive um, breathing practice that inc incorporates some of the traditional sort of yoga based practices like pranayama and so forth. And it has this um, practice called sky, which is like the Sudarshan Kriya yoga part, which is um, sort of a rhythmic breathing practice that's guided. So um, that's why you, that's one of the reasons you'd probably want to take a class because it's guided and then you can, um, you can learn it in that, in that manner. And then you have a take home practice. So that's what I, that's what I practice daily. And that's what we researched also. Got you. Interesting. And, then... and it's offered, um, so it's offered through Art of Living, but it's also offered for veterans and military families at no cost through a nonprofit called Project Welcome Home Troops. It's offered high schools um, and middle schools through a nonprofit called Sky Schools. So lots of different, there's a prison program called Prison Smart, I think. I'm not sure. I can't remember, but yeah. God, that's great. I mean, so is that what you would, if you were, um, you know, 
president of the world and you had yours say, what would we do? I understand there's not a president of the world. I don't want you to think I'm that stupid. But if you were running everything, how what what do you think the best thing we could do for young people to help with all this stuff? Would it be a combination of meditation, yoga, breathing exercises, understanding the stuff? Should we be teaching this in school? At, at what age? I mean, like, it feels like so many of all of our problems in in the, this country and around the world is people just not understanding that thoughts are just thoughts and sort of taking thoughts to be reality and getting in sort of this alternate reality and having like like you said no exercise or understanding of how to deal with emotions and and feelings i mean all the way up to war and road rage all these things what what would you say is i mean i'm sure that's it's not a simple answer what is what is the best thing we could be doing more of is it teaching this stuff in school at a young age yeah i think so i i my goal would be to have all kids i mean so many kids have trauma and then they become adults with trauma which isn't necessarily a bad thing because it, adults who've had childhood traumas are often very resilient very strong and every trauma makes a person stronger and yet it also can make a person self-destruct or destroy others so my goal would definitely be if, if all kids could learn a practice, like even just once, like doing like doing sky breath meditation, something like that, that just sort of helps them overcome whatever trauma they've experienced so they can move on with their life and like show up in their life as having um, as having the ability to live up to their best potential because every human being has creativity, every human being has potential, has skills, has values. There's such a gift to the world, you know, and it's a question about what will, what will make a person show up at the, as their best selves, as their greatest potential in this lifetime, or, you know, how many people have that and, but they're drinking themselves to death or they're, they're sitting in their basement, never coming out, not achieving all of the beautiful things they could achieve. So that would be my goal for sure is to have all kids go through something like that, which we know is really good for trauma. It's very efficient and quick. You know, it's like our veteran studies show that in one week, they no longer had post-traumatic stress. They had been in counseling, they had taken drugs, they had done so many things and boom, in a week, they were like, it was so helpful. Not to say that that would happen like that for every single person, but in our study, it was kind of surprising that one month and one year later after the study was over, the veterans still showed normalized anxiety. Like they didn't have the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. I mean, it gives you hope, you know, because not everyone can sit in therapy for years or not everyone is willing to take drugs. You know, they have side effects that make them feel dull and in other ways of their life, you know, other parts of their life. So there are some, some great options there. And yeah, I think meditation is a fabulous practice. And there are a lot of forms of meditation. I think here in the US, we, we're, we just know about, you know, one form of meditation or two forms. There's so many, you know, I always feel like we need to share options with people so that they can find something that works for them. It's amazing to me that we sort of have this onboard system that can work miraculously, essentially, through breathing or mindfulness. And you don't need, well, some people need, I don't want to dismiss the need for um, drugs and situations, but that the fact that such a amazing um, tool is just in our onboard system with breathing, meditation, mindfulness is really um, incredible because for so many, including myself, the answer is to go to some sort of substance. And um, that just doesn't 
work essentially I mean, if you're abusing again i know that some people certainly that have mental disorders where drugs can work miracles as well but to hear um the value of breathing and breathing exercises is really almost like magical i mean it's like yeah. really hey, i don't want to say that a magic pill you know there but you know like dan harris says 10 percent happier you know like it, it there is something we can do you know that can help alleviate the symptoms of trauma that can help alleviate our anxiety and it's such a simple thing you know it's such a simple thing and like you said it's it doesn't have side effects you know it doesn't have addiction problems it doesn't yeah, it's just wonderful to, to know that these options are there. And I always just feel like, you know, if people are suffering, just that they should have hope that there are options out there that will work for them and that will also be beneficial to their system and, and will give them, you know, the ability to, to come back to themselves. Yeah, well, I, I think you're doing amazing work with this stuff because it just, I can feel uh, like the hope in your voice and I, I appreciate it and it does make me feel hopeful. I know you have limited time, but could you just touch upon also the other thing I love, because uh, I'm a big hiker and big believer in nature. Could you talk a little bit about the science-based evidence of how beneficial nature and being in nature is to our, our psychologically, and I think even physically, physiologically in some ways, is that right? Yeah. I mean, research shows it decreases anxiety, depression, it increases your creativity by 50% just to be out in nature for three days unplugged so many benefits and if you if you can't make it out to you know a national park you can just go to your local city park and if you can't go to your city park even just hanging out with your local you know street tree has an impact and if you don't have that then even just a plant on your desk and if you don't have a window even just having a, a poster of nature or um, a screensaver all of those have been shown to be beneficial because we are so attuned to nature and yet 70% of kids um, who are um, underprivileged are nature deprived and 70% of um, um, non-white kids are, um, are also nature deprived. So just thinking about what is going on, how are we raising our kids? What are we exposing them to? Are we setting people up for mental health? What can we do to bring more nature into people's lives? Yeah, it's, it's amazing because I mean, that's something that just it becomes for me self-evident when I go out into a park, when I hike, which I love to do, and I've taken full hiking trips for a week at a time, flown to Wales and Peru and all these places, and you feel renewed. I mean, it's like the equivalent of hours and hours of meditation, or again, when I was drinking and using, I'm like, I never felt as good as I did when I was out hiking or in amongst the trees in the woods, the ocean for me, I mean, I always jokingly say the ocean just heals everything, just being in the ocean for a couple of minutes. So um, yes. I love hearing that, but I'm a person that really likes evidence and hearing somebody say it helps because I can feel that it helps. But in my mind, I'm always questioning myself because I right. hate myself. So it's nice to hear somebody who studied this stuff be like, no, it actually is good. There's plenty of studies. So that makes me feel great. If that makes sense. Of course. Um, well, by the way, you know, on that topic of like self-love and stuff, you know, it starts as a discipline. Yeah. It, you know, it starts as a discipline, bringing things into your life and putting them on your calendar of what you'll do for yourself. You know, I'm going to take that walk in the park today. I'm going to put on my calendar. I'm going to go to bed at 10 or whatever. I'm going to have a juice, you know, first thing in the morning or whatever, you know, self-care. You start it as a discipline because the more you bring it into your schedule, even as a discipline that you're just enforcing, you're going to start to feel 
you're going to start to feel better. And as you start to feel better, you're going to start, it's going to, you're going to start to integrate and, and feel more of that self-love. So, so start with that discipline. Yeah. I mean, self-love and self-compassion is something that I've been working on and need to work on. I think we all need to work on. And the thing that helps me that sort of mantra is be as nice to yourself as you would be to somebody else. Yeah. You know, I would never, you know, if my wife said, boy, I haven't written it all today. I wouldn't say that's because you're a piece of shit and you're, yeah. you're lazy, you know, <laughs> which is what I'm saying to myself right. constantly. So I have to remind myself of that, but yeah, um, Emma, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I know you're busy. I'm really grateful that you uh, came in to do this because uh, it's, it really has meant a lot to me and just this conversation, I feel better. And I know it's going to help a lot of people. So thank you. Welcome. And I feel bad. Also, I you said uh, we'll have some laughs, and I feel like it wasn't funny at all. So I'll send you some links of my uh, stand up, and it'll be much it. funnier. <laughs> it'll be it'll be way better than this. But I think this was um, really great. I think a lot of people will get a lot out of it. So um, I appreciate it, and please keep up the great work. Thank you. Yeah. Mindful Metal Jacket is hosted by comedian Joe List. Produced by Joe List. Edited by Matt Kleinschmidt. Executive producers Robert Kelly and Matt Kleinschmidt for the Laugh Button Podcasts.